public schools reopening this fall, and post-COVID learning. In today's episode, we have guest speaker Mr. James Lee. James is a Toronto District School Board trustee, Don Valley North Chair, Audit Committee member, and member of the Governance and Policy Committee. James is heavily involved in his community, serving his district with a passion for improving the quality of education for our kids. James will be talking about what approaches our school systems are taking to better prepare teachers and students for when schools reopen this fall. This is Becoming Parents, your survival guide for modern parenthood. I'm your host, Louise Lee. To get our latest episode preview or news updates, follow us on Instagram, becoming.parents. To access our full show notes and research articles, find us at becoming-parents.com. Welcome, James. Thank you for being here with us today. Hi, Louise. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm very well. How about you? Good, good. I mean, the summer is finally here, feels like, so I'm sure a lot of uh, us are having a much better mood. So tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what do you exactly do for Toronto District School Board? All right, Luis, as you have said, I am the trustee for Don Valley North at the Toronto District School Board. So what I usually do is I sit on the board of directors that is responsible for making all the decisions that happens in the school board. Uh, we make decisions from policy towards governance, and we make uh, decisions on where we allocate our budget, and we also make decisions on how education is, is executed in Toronto's public school board. Within uh, the school board, I am also the chair of the audit committee, which means I am responsible to make sure that the school board is spending our money properly, uh, that all of our employees are following the rules and regulations as set by the board. And we're also making sure that there's no fraudulent activities or any um, unbecoming behavior that is happening in the school board. Very important role, so I must say. It's also governance and also setting the policy for the school. So interestingly, um, since the COVID started, uh, based on your awareness, how are the schools in your district or Toronto area conducting education in current situation? Well, first of all, I have to say that we are in uncharted waters. Um, I don't think anyone, if you asked this time last year, can imagine that the TDSB can conduct education in the way that we are doing today. Mm-hmm. So across the TDSB, we are implementing the province's learn at home policy, which is to say our students stay at home and our teachers are connecting with our students over the internet to provide lessons, learning, and also uh, at home uh, homework to our students. Mm-hmm. Now, the TDSB has traditionally followed a strategy where each school and each classroom tailor their education to the needs of their specific students. And we're continuing to do that. As you said, we're in the very uncharted water. And a lot of parents are expressed challenges by doing these kind of remote and homeschool. 
what are the suggestions from the school board to these parents? Well, you know, it is absolutely challenging for parents, um, especially parents of younger children, mm -hmm. because what, what a lot of times gets overlooked is that when your child is in elementary school, the role of a teacher is not only as an educator, but also as a caretaker for that child while the parents are at work. Mm -hmm. The teacher needs to take care of the child, you know, of the students' need during the day, both from a physical and also a psychological perspective. But now that all the children are at home, it is much more difficult for our teachers to play the role of a caretaker. Mm -hmm. The child is not beside the teacher. The teacher, it's very hard for the teacher to see what the mood the child is in. Sometimes the child gets bored. The, the child wants to do something that's different. The teacher can't see that. Mm -hmm. So right now it's falling back onto the parents to, while working at home in the same time, also taking care of their children's everyday needs. Mm. And that by itself is extremely, extremely challenging. Absolutely. I mean, just by the overlapping of uh, normal business working hours versus the prime hour of kids uh, conducting their daily activity, that is already a logistic nightmare. Absolutely. And if you're working right now, if you, if you work in an office space and you have an online meeting, you know, every meeting very often you will hear kids in the background mm -hmm. because that's what the parents are doing. They're taking care of their children while at work. Yes, yes. I mean, this is a, something that we are all in this together, I guess, you know, for better, for worse, we get a better bonding time with uh, kids. But at the same time, um, life is uh, never easy, I guess. It is a huge strain on the parents right now. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So are there any support um, from TDSB for these parents right now? Or we just have to, you know, buckle down and try to get through the tough time together? I got to say there are support, but there are not enough support. And I, I don't say there's not enough support as in the TDSB is choosing not to do more. But the TDSB is limited by the fact that we cannot take over the guardianship of the children right now. Mm -hmm. So as much as we can, uh, you know, we're trying to provide parents with information that's posted on our website on how best, you know, to you know, keep your kids at home and working the same time, how best to keep mentally positive, you know, how to take breaks, how to remove stress from, you know, the, the current COVID-19 uh, lifestyle. Um, but there is not much more that we can do to help these parents of young children right now. All we can do is to make sure that our teacher is in everyday contact with our children. Hmm. Our teachers are giving our students work that is engaging, that can keep their attention span, that can actually educate the children. And in the same time, this is very important, that our teachers, through their educational methods, are not putting additional strain on the parents. Mm -hmm. And I say this with the highest level of amplification, because there are you know, certain parents in our community that have been asking for a certain style of education. Right. These kind of styles, a lot of times, you know, resemble some sort of a video conferencing. Can teachers record videos? Can teachers go on to video calls with children? 
yes, in certain circumstances, especially with older children, maybe this works. But it is not one size fits all. And I say this because there are parents in the same time, they're also asking for synchronous learning, which is one size fits all learning. One size fits all learning is very simple to implement, but it is very difficult to make effective because if your teacher have online classroom with the children on a daily basis, for those younger kids, the parents will have to sit with the children many times to keep them attentive to the screen. I because can concur. Right? The teacher cannot see the students. Yeah. If you look into a classroom, you know, the teacher's in front of the classroom and the teacher is teaching. And if little Johnny starts wandering off somewhere, the teacher can say, little Johnny, come back. <laughs> yeah. But if little Johnny is in front of a screen, the teacher will not be effective in pulling little Johnny back. The mother of little Johnny or the father or the guardian will have to do that. Mm -hmm. As you said, teacher traditionally for younger, gen uh, younger age kids, they play the both caretaker and educator role. In this case, the caretaker role will have to be split and shared by the parents. Yes. Therefore, additional type of a, a teaching method will potentially put a, more stress on parents. In fact, I, we have had a, uh, a working mom on our show previously, and she said because it's so difficult and that she just couldn't choose to do it, even if it's pre-recorded, not to mention if it's live. Right. Right. So the content has to be interesting. It has to be cap captivating. It has to be educational. And most of all, it cannot add more stress to the workload that the parents already have today. Mm -hmm. So for, because of the Toronto is gradually opening up and the parents who are actually going back to work or these essential workers, what are the arrangements for their kids? So as we go into summer, this is a serious concern that I have. I was uh, speaking to some of the other um, levels of governments uh, in Dong Valley North. I was talking to um, the MP Han Dong and the city councilor Shelley Carroll, and also the MPP Vincent Ke uh, on a separate case. We need to make sure that there are enough childcare spaces mm -hmm. in Toronto, in our neighborhoods, over the summer. Mm -hmm. The TDSB is not going to open until September. So as much as we want to help, we can't. That's right. But if you have parents going back to work, and they need these jobs right now, because a lot of parents, they're worried about their employment. Of course. You know, they're, they're, I, have, I have family members who has been asked by their workplaces to go back to work. And they said, if you do not return to work by this date, you will no longer have employment. That's a tough choice. But if there's no childcare spaces opening, or if the childcare spaces that are open are not affordable to these parents, they now have to choose between looking after their children or providing for their children. And that is a choice that we cannot ask them to make. Of course. So are you referring these child space uh, as they are the private child care space? Some are private, some are publicly funded, some are subsidized. I see. And unfortunately, I do not believe, now 
this I could be wrong, but I'm not sure if Toronto is going to be opening their day camps. Mm, I, I, based on my knowledge, I heard that summer camps are, are definitely not happening right. uh, in Toronto. So, right. so uh, public day camps are not happening, but the province have said that day camps can happen. So now we are, re, now we are relying on privately run where daycares that are not run by the city of Toronto, but other publicly funded organizations to make mm-hmm. sure that these kids have, you know, proper supervision while their parents go back to work. Absolutely. And not to mention that Toronto is actually listed one of the most expensive childcare city in the world. So if a lot of them or majority of them are funded by private, I agree that there need to be measures or policies to support these parents in order to make it affordable. And what makes it worse is the parents who are in most need of these childcare spaces, they're the ones who are working maybe frontline in the service industry mm-hmm. or frontline in a factory. And these are probably not the parents who are making top 10% of salary. Agreed. If you, because if you work in an office, if you're you know, management in a business, you have the ability to work from home. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. this situation that is faced by our parents who need to go back to work are also being faced by our parents who are going to be most financially impacted. That is a really a tough position to be caught in. So during your conversations with MPs and MPPs, are there any possibility or are there any constructive options on the table to address these issues? So I have asked um, to see if we can um, organize childcare provisions in our community um, amongst our, rep- you know, the, the, the representatives of, uh, in different levels of governments in Don Valley North. I'm also reaching out to various childcare providers to make sure that when they're allowed to open, they do open. Mm. Uh, and in the same time, I will be looking towards different levels of governments to say, you know what, as we open back up, we need to help parents with childcare because mm-hmm. if a child used to go to a city of Toronto camp, which is not too expensive, they now need to go to a private camp that is most likely more expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what is this a childcare provision, a organized childcare provision you're referring to? I'm not very familiar with it. So if you could do a little bit explanation. So we're still in the working phase. Uh, essentially what we are hoping to do now, once again, we're in the working phase, so I don't want to promise anything. Mm. We're trying to figure out if there is a lack of demand uh, or not a lack of demand, but a lack of supply of childcare uh, in Don Valley North. And I'm trying to figure out if we can pull together some providers um, to, um, to provide this. Now, there are difficulties because spaces used to, fund, uh, to, to operate these childcare right now is at a premium. Mm-hmm. Hotels are not open. Event uh, venues are not open. And uh, given uh, what's happening right now during COVID, uh, not every public school 
is ready to be open to to receive um, these uh, potential childcare spaces. So we need to. There's a lot of questions that needs to be answered, and um, but hopefully we can have some answers uh, by the time that summer comes. Uh, you're doing a fantastic job for your district, which is Down Valley North. Do you know in different pockets of Toronto or even within Ontario, if um, the local government, uh, government officials are moving for the similar measures, similar approaches to address their district needs? Well, I'm sure everyone's thinking about it. I mean, that's why they exist. I mean, you know, everyone here is elected for a reason, and that is to serve the community. So I'm sure everyone is trying. Um, but, you know, with COVID-19, situation changes every day. So I'm sure there are some areas that are in more advanced stage of preparation than others. Mm-hmm. And, and to be frank, there's very little or I wouldn't say very little, but, but it, there's very limited things that these elected representatives can do. Other than being the strong advocate and then let the government official MPs and MPPs heard. There is a advocacy role to be, to be played. There is a leadership role to be played. There is an organizer role to be played. Mm-hmm. But to actually make it happen, we do need you know, the, the, the cooperation of government, of private uh, providers, of the people, really. This I is see. a time to, ba- to band together and overcome these challenges. I see. And is there a chance to revisit some kind of, some existing um, policies or guidelines regarding, for example, private daycare or home daycare even, in order to open up more service providers? I mean, legislation is made by our government. Our government is elected by the people. Therefore, any piece of legislation can always be changed, it can always be changed if the will is there. Um, <laughs> but is this the best time to, to, to change these regulations? Um, I, 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 to be frank, I'm not sure because our childcare regulations, although it is one of the most stringent in the world, it also ensures that our children are safe. Of course. Right. So between safety and money, I pick safety. I think all the parents will agree to that. <laughs> right. So if you, if you say, James, you can either ask for two things. You can either ask for the government to loosen safety standards and risk a child getting hurt so that their parents can go to work. Or you can ask the government just to, you know, provide these parents with the financial subsidy required so that they don't need to go to work and they can take care of their children. I pick number two every time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the parents would agree too. So look past the summertime and when September arrives, assuming as planned, the school are able to open up. What do you hope to see once that happens? Luis, I think we're opening up to a new world. Mm-hmm. I do. Um, I, I think our education system has, um, has been fairly successful um, in the grand scheme of uh, public education. Uh, but one of the things that I don't think any public school board or even our Ministry of Education has provided for is this concept of, concept of online learning or distance learning. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that public education has to be online, 
but me as a person i you know i have been to school for many many years i have a number of degrees but ever since i have joined my university first year for my bachelor's degree i have never had a single piece of education that did not involve a online component Mm-hmm. And ever since I started, I graduated bachelor, every component of education that I've had after that has had a mandatory online component. Mm-hmm. So as public school boards, we need to do what we can to teach our students how to effectively learn from a distance. Mm-hmm. There are folks that are saying, that are worried that online education might mean we need less teachers or that, you know, we are going to have larger class sizes. No, I, I don't think that is the case. Online learning does not mean unsupervised learning. Mm-hmm. We can have in grade seven or grade eight or high school a classroom where students sit in the classroom supervised by a teacher, but they're learning online. And if they need help, the teacher needs to be there to help them. We need to start teaching our kids how to effectively learn, not in a classroom setting, but using technology. Mm-hmm. And I feel starting September, this is going to be front and center. In fact, not even September, starting June, this is going to be front and center because we need to run summer school. Hmm. But our summer school cannot be in-person summer school. It has to be distance learning summer school. So how do we deliver an effective summer school curriculum online while the children are not in class? It'll be very different from what we're doing today because they're not being graded. Our students are not being graded by the work or on the work that they're doing today. Their entire report card would be based on their midterm marks. But starting summer school, that's different. They're being graded based on the work that they do online, starting summer school. In September, if parents choose not to send their kids back, I suspect there may be an option. If COVID doesn't blow through by September, which, you know, given the trajectory that we see right now in other parts of the world, it may not. Going back to school may be, may be elective in September. So how do we do online education for children whose parents are electing not to send back to school? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I already heard of conversations from parents expressing concerns whether or not September, the COVID will be completely over. If they are able to, they would choose to stay at home. And as you said, the front and center job right now is to teach the capability of online work, online working, online education. So what is the design for summer school content that can help with this kind of learning capability? We have one month to figure it out. <laughs> oh, wow. That's a, that's a very short time for a big task. Well, we've started... A month ago. So we started in April hmm. with a number of contingency plans to say, what if we cannot go back to class? Hmm. And over the next month, we will need to 
come to terms with a concrete plan on how to educate students online formally mm -hmm. and grade them. Is this the effort for Toronto District School Board only, or this is a collaborative effort with the province, uh, with the education administration? Well, we, 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 don't, work, we don't work in a silo. Mm. So we are in constant communication with the Ministry of Education. Mm -hmm. We're in constant communication with other school boards, not only in Ontario, but across North America. Mm -hmm. but, so we are sharing best practices. We are collectively with other public school boards trying to figure out how we can do this to the highest level of effectiveness. That's great. So in your collaboration work, have you identified a certain school board or certain schools do better than others? Because, and why are the reasons that they do better? I don't think we have identified specific schools that, you know, in general, or certain school boards that in general do better than others. Um, we have identified best practices that some of our teachers use that drive better results than others. Because keep in mind, our teachers, until COVID-19 has happened, are not trained to teach over the internet. Mm-hmm. They're trained to teach in the classroom. So our teachers are freaking it, figuring it out as they go as well. And I, I guarantee you, an online class today is much more effective than an online class back in April. Of course, of course. And as time goes on, they will become more effective. So our senior staff, we are gathering those best practices and we're releasing them out uh, to the teachers as time goes on. Uh, the TDSB passed the motion uh, last week to make sure that our senior staff start to collect these best practices and start you know, developing almost a, a, a handbook on what to do when teaching online. That is a great. And uh, how do teachers, other than utilizing these resources provided by TDSB, how do teachers collaborate or even learn from each other? Because they are also in their own house. They are also not connecting with their peers on a more regular basis, like in school time. How are they sharing these techniques? Well, they, they are still being managed. They, they are still in contact with their principal, who is their leader. Um, they are in contact with each other who are teaching the same classes uh, to share, you know, this is what we're doing. This is uh, what I found to be effective. And mostly uh, we, the TDSB, have a online portal that's designed for teachers to use to find out what works what doesn't work, and what the suggestions are. Mm. Also, it's like an online forum for all the teachers to share their lessons learned and good experiences and resources. It's like online training for teachers. <laughs> that's a, that's a very incredible. I mean, yeah. you guys have a pulled it all together ever since just April, right? Yeah, it, it's very, very comprehensive. Uh, it, it is, um, I don't think the public has access to the details, but if they would go, go to tdsb.on.ca, there is a blue box that said remote learning resources and supports for educators. If you click inside and you want to see what's there, there are office hour for support staff that, you know, that, that, that we have made available to teachers. There are 
resources to use for teachers to assess students. There are resources for each grade and each subject that our teachers can pull from to use to teach their classes. And there are also webinars and professional learning tools used to teach our teachers really how best to you know, implement learning from home. Are these great contents accessible by the public if they are not teachers themselves? They're not. You need a TDSB uh, account uh, to access. I see. I yeah. see. But they are accessible by our employees. Absolutely. Um, so change the subject a little bit. Mm -hmm. If the budget is not a concern, I know it's a big if, what would you like to see TDSB to do after the whole COVID? So if budget is not a concern, yeah. <laughs> oh, if, to be frank, that is a that that is a very scary question to ask, <laughs> because if budget is not a concern, there are so many things that we would like to do. But let me try to limit the question a little bit, because <laughs> when you when we make it too broad, you know, if the budget is not a concern, we would like, you know, first of all, our three billion dollar backlog in our building and repair fund replenished yeah. you know we would we would like to hire enough special education teachers uh to adequately support our our students who have special needs we would like to uh develop much better uh you know out, out you know uh, education programs outside of the classroom so that our students students can have a better chance of you know seeing the world that's outside you know in their educational career but and and many 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 other things when we every every year at budget season we always you know as a as a group of trustees bang our head on the table trying to figure out how we can you know balance balance our books while not um you know, negatively impacting education and making sure that we deliver the best service possible. Mm -hmm. But limiting that question to COVID-19, mm -hmm. I think what we have seen as a need is a need for technology for our students mm -hmm. and a need for technology for our teachers. We need to make sure that the TDSB is up to date both from a teaching supply perspective and also a equity perspective for our students that if we need to continue teaching using technology, every one of our students have access to the technology needed. And in the mm -hmm. same time, we need to make sure that all of our teachers have access to the technology that's needed. For example, if a teacher needs to write on a blackboard right now, to show something to their children, it is impossible. Yeah. And you can just ask any teacher on how often they write on the board. No, probably so, not a very often, yes. if at all. <laughs> yes. So limited to a COVID-19 perspective, mm -hmm. we need to quickly rethink what a classroom looked like. We need mm -hmm. to quickly rethink what technology, what processes, what training for a teacher is required to best educate our students in the post-COVID-19 world and get on being ready for it. So this is basically compared to the traditional classroom setting. We obviously needed something a little bit more resilient, 
a little bit more agile in order to adopt the changes. If say there is a second wave, for example, and the school need to shift their schedules again, um, what type of essential equipments do you think TDSB can provide for the teachers to equip them better, the most essential pieces? You know what, that's, that, that is a question that I, I think is best answered by the education providers in the TDSB. Mm-hmm. But in my own personal opinion, mm-hmm. first of all, we need to equip our teacher with adequate computers. Mm-hmm. You know, when our parents are asking teachers to do video conferencing with our students, I'm not even sure if all of our teachers have a video cam or know how to use one. I see. So that is a training related as well. It's a training and it's technology related. Mm-hmm. I believe we need a way for a teacher to write on a board. Yeah. So yep. that might be a, uh, you know, a tablet pen or some sort of a uh, desk-based uh, writing pad. Mm-hmm. I believe we need much, a much more um, intu- intuitive and, and easy to use conferencing tool for our students and teachers. Is TDSB looking into these supplies at the moment to address the shortage? We're looking, um, but we haven't made a decision on any of that. I see, I right? see. Because, because keep in mind, the TDSB is funded uh, by the Ministry of Education. Mm-hmm. And we're not being funded any extra for things that are outside of our direct scope of operations. Mm-hmm. If we were to you know, significantly upgrade our IT infrastructure, which this would constitute a significant upgrade, there is currently no funding dedicated to it. So the funding is really the bottleneck for our teachers to have the adequate equipment and technology to reach all the students at home. When it comes to public education, funding is always a bottleneck. <laughs> I'm just stating the obvious here. <laughs> well, to be frank, it, it is, you know, it, a lot of parents have great ideas. Mm-hmm. And I, I applaud their great ideas. And I personally even agree with them. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times, I just don't know where the money can come from. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, very hard, especially when you're talking about uh, the entire Toronto region, not just a, a particular classroom. That the magnitude definitely multiplies very quickly. Right. And so TDSB, we, um, to support our children from lower income families that need uh, computer equipment during learning from home, we, um, we, we, we scoured our classrooms and we, t- we, we basically mailed uh, tablets and uh, computers to our students at home. Mm-hmm. So, so mailed, therefore they can have the access. Right. We mailed almost 30,000 computers to students and tablets. Oh, wow. And so these it, are loans, right? So they will bring back. We'll, we'll, have to get, we'll have to get them back and they're tracked by their IP as well. So we know exactly where they are at all times. But Think about that. If we were to provide every student, and TDSB has 250,000 students, mm-hmm. if we were to provide every student with a iPad, for example, an iPad is, you know, let's just say on average $500. Yep. That's $125 million. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I, there's a lot of different programs in TDSB also can use the similar amount, amount of funding. So there's definitely a competing um, priorities here. Like it or not, we are seeing the um, big shift in the education method. Uh, maybe it's a forest and maybe it's a gradually adopted. But do you think, you know, for better or for worse, the education method has been standing still for a long time. Is it a long due for a disruption in your opinion? Well, I, I would disagree with the notion that the method of education has been standing still. Hmm. The, what, what our children are learning today is very different from what I have learned when, when I attended TDSB. Mm-hmm. And it's very different from, you know, someone my parents' age will have learned it, or even younger than my parents. So education is not, it's not stagnant. It is consistently updated in the TDSB to align to you know, what's relevant recently. So the material that's being taught to children, it's being, cons- it's being constantly updated. And you know, the one thing that we make sure we, we, we always you know, buy new for our nonfiction educational material, mm-hmm. right? So nonfiction meaning, you know, history books, uh, scientific uh, articles, just because, you know, things change. You know, a number of years ago, we had more planets than we have today, mm-hmm. for example. And some countries that existed, you know, back in the 90s may no longer exist today. Mm-hmm. So, so the, the, the content that we teach our children is being constantly updated. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The method of delivery is being updated, but like I had mentioned previously, I don't think we're at the stage where any public school board in Ontario, or perhaps even Canada, is ready to say we can do a full-time online education and we can do it effectively. Mm-hmm. Of course. So previously, I actually had an episode with someone um, teaching the Finland because Finland and Canada also scored a very both scored very high in international um, exams. So I was just curious in terms of what did Finland do so well, and then surprisingly, that they don't enforce a standardized test in early education in the primary education phase. And what is your view on the standardized testing? Well, I think every time when you do a standardized testing, you have to figure out what you're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. TDSB doesn't have standardized testing either. Uh, What we do have is our provincial EQAO testing, which is really a province's way of figuring out how the overall education uh, system is doing. Are we meeting the minimum standards? But standardized testing has never been a truly effective way of developing you know, successful individuals in the long run. Because what standardized testing does is, is that if it forces, it forces teachers to over-index on knowledge. Mm-hmm. You gotta memorize these formulas. You gotta memorize this history. You gotta be able to do these questions so that you are successful on a test. Mm-hmm. 
it's a great way of making sure that a class where students have the knowledge that we're trying to transfer to them. Yeah. But when the standardized testing become the only measurement for success, like it is in some other countries around the world, and they do exist, what you often see is that these students, they're not as developed in other abilities. They're not as developed in you know, creativity, mm-hmm. communications, teamwork, and other important personal skills. In fact, you know, if you focus everything on knowledge, there's also, you know, a part of a student's childhood that just, that, that goes missing because yeah. they, spend, they spend their entire day studying because that's how they get measured as a child. So, so there is going to be a balance. Am I saying testing is irrelevant? No, we have plenty of testing at the TDSB. Mm-hmm. Our teachers give out tests all the time. But is is it a standardized test that's designed to measure one student against the other? And if they're not successful, then they're seen as inadequate? No. Mm -hmm. No, that is not the best way. Because in addition to everything I have just said, there is a very, very realistic issue where different kids, they learn at different speeds. Yeah, absolutely. And then go back to the point that, you know, there's also uh, more demand uh, or a gap to be filled in the special needs education sector as well. Interestingly enough, that the Finnish teacher that I spoke with, he mentioned, because the classroom size is so small in Finland, they actually don't isolate it out. They don't distinguish the regular students or the regular education needs versus the special education needs. And the teacher basically spend a lot of time outside the classroom even to get to know their kids, to provide them very in-person help. And absolutely, the measure of success is not just by academic performance, but by a lot of other things, such as social emotional health. Yeah. So even at the TDSB, we have observed a degree of ineffectiveness in segregated special education. Mm -hmm. Uh, This is different from specialized education. So we draw that distinction. Mm -hmm. Uh, Special education is for students with special needs. Specialized education is for specialties such as, you know, arts or STEM or other um, special programs. Mm -hmm. Um, So, we have had um, many students with special needs who are segregated from their normal classroom peers. And we found that these students, they really, they often do not have very good results Mm -hmm. in the end. And um, our educational staff have looked around the world, including Finland, and found that integration may actually help these students become more successful. So TDSB is actually also going towards that integration model where uh, students are being integrated into their everyday classrooms. Now, they're not necessarily learning the same thing. Um, The classroom teacher needs to take into consideration their special needs and, uh, you know, give them 
adjusted uh, learning uh, based on what they can, uh, you know, what they can absorb and what, uh, what's effective to those students. And normally schools also have a, um, have a support person who uh, goes from class to class to make sure that this special, uh, this student with special needs is getting everything he or she needs. Um, so we're trying out that model. Uh, it's starting uh, this year and it will be uh, more proliferate uh, going forward. And um, hopefully, uh, you know, just like uh, the experiences that you have talked about in Finland, we do see the same level of success here as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That's a, that's a encouraging to hear because obviously this is someone else have tested successfully in their system by adopting it. Hopefully we can also see an improved results. So, yes. um, so also there is a growing conversation around social emotional learning and what is the TDSB doing to address these kind of need? Oh, the TDSB has a very, very, strong emphasis on emotional well-being. Mm. And we don't see it as a part of, um, we, we don't see it as a separate part of education. We see it as a component of education. Mm. That while we educate our children, we need to make sure that they're emotionally well. So all of our teachers, they are trained to ensure that that students are emotionally well. We have plenty of resources online for both students and parents. We do student census every number of years to see how well our students are doing and identify areas where they're struggling and, um, and actively work to, to fix them. I must say, as a parent myself, by listening to what you're describing all the effort that and the thoughts TDSB has put into the education system gives me a much greater comfort and confidence. I know we're all in this very difficult time together. We're all trying to figure out in the uncharted territory, but uh, thank you so much for your great work, James. And I just want to speak on behalf of all the parents and teachers that, you know, people like yourself continue to connecting with the government and advocate for our needs and demand will make our community so much better. Thank you, Louis. I really appreciate you having me. And if any, uh, if you or any of your listeners have any questions or, or would like to reach out to me, my email is james.li at tdsb.on.ca or they can visit my website at jameslee.net. Thank you very much, James. And we will be linking to James' email and his website in our show notes. Thank you very much, James. Thank you. Thanks again for tuning into Capstone International's Becoming Parents. More episodes can be found on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or Google. For informative articles and useful resources, find us at becoming-parents.com. Check out our show notes to learn more about our guest speaker and today's topic. And use the links to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Until next time, stay healthy, stay safe, stay happy.